Get ready for biblical preaching and teaching. I am Pastor Adam Bigelow. Isn't it time to get unstuck? This is the Reaching Forward Podcast. The Gospel of John chapter 20. We're in Jesus 101 and we would like to use the theme. Well, let me just read a few jokes. I'll tell you my theme. So a man... He got a, you ever have a bug stuck in your eye like a little gnat or a fly gets in there? So he uh, was talking to his friend. He said, I got a bug stuck in my eye earlier today. And he said, guess who I bumped into on my way to the eye doctor? And his friend said, who? And he said, everyone. <laughs> what type of vision do you have if you, if you rub ketchup in your eyes? Heinz sight. Two more. Why did the iPhone wear thick glasses like bifocals? Because it lost all its contacts. (laughs) And this is a southern flavor. This is southern flavor. What do you call a deer with no eyes? No odd deer. <laughs> Someone from the South got it. We'd like to look at John chapter 20, and it deals with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is really the exclamation point of all of the promises of God. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then the cross really didn't mean anything. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he couldn't have guaranteed that our sins were forgiven. So the resurrection was really the fulfillment of everything that he promised. Even in our salvation prayer uh, that we get modeled to us in the book of Romans chapter 10 verse 9. It said, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. That's the resurrection. And it says, thou shalt be saved. So our resurrection, our salvation hinges on this chapter in the Gospels. So we get a lot. I like to look at this chapter in the theme or the title of eyes of faith or seeing by faith. We get a lot of information uh, through our eyes. That's our main sense, I'd say. For a lot of us, it's our most would people would say it's our most valuable sense that we have. If you lost your eyesight, you would be in trouble. You'd have a hard time, you'd have a hard time driving, okay? So the Bible says in Luke chapter 4, I want to talk of just a few examples, and you don't have to flip there, about Jesus healing people's sight. Sight. In Luke, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus when he stood up to preach and started his ministry, he reads from Isaiah 61. And one of the things that he said in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 is recovering of sight to the blind. Later in blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10 is saying, thou son of David, have mercy on me. I don't know how much he knew about the scriptures, but the Jews knew the scriptures. He probably knew that the Messiah would restore sight to the blind. So when he said son of David, he was saying, you're the one that I can get my sight back from. And of course, 
if you've read the account, he gets his sight back from Jesus. When he sent the man in John chapter 9, who was blind from his birth, the Bible said, and it's kind of a little bit different, the Bible said he, he made a mud pie and uh, you know, he, he took some dirt and spat on it and he made some clay, which all boys have probably done. And then he put that on the man's eyes, who was blind. And he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man went and washed. And then he came seeing. And he said, well, preacher, why did he put dirt in his eyes? How did he make man? Man made, was made from the dust of the ground. He made the same mud pie and he made man. So when God put those, those mud pies on the man, you see, he was born blind. Now, we all think of having an eye problem as a bug in your eye or a cataract, but your eye is very complicated. Behind your eye, there's a nerve that runs to your brain, your optic nerve. We don't know what this man's problem. He might not have had a developed optic nerve. He might have been missing his pupils. We don't know. But when Jesus put those pieces of mud on the man, he was creating the man's eyeballs or whatever was deficient. Jesus is a creator. So Jesus helped this man see. And then one more accounting. I like this. It says, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 27. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. I like this. In verse 28, when Jesus, and when he was come into the house, so there evidently was a house around there, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. You know, have you ever thought about this? How did they get in the house? So they were, they were saying, Jesus, Jesus, thou son of David, they're blind. And it said Jesus came in went into the house. He just walked on by went into the house. And it said they somehow, these blind men, came into the house. Blind Bartimaeus did not see Jesus when he was walking by. Okay, they were blind, so they probably had to ask some questions, right? Hey, where'd he go? <laughs> and uh, maybe they asked for a little bit of a little help. Hey, someone who can see where he went, help me out. Or maybe even at, they could have asked, hey, does anyone know where Jesus went? You know, if you don't know where Jesus is, ask someone who knows. And someone, however the case, they got into the house even though they were blind. You know, if we need something, we're going to get to where we need. And the eyes of faith that we walk by, they're not physical sight. That's not really what I'm talking about. I want to focus on the eyes of faith, not just your physical sight. There's a song, Amazing Grace, and it says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the, the sound. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That saved the wretch like me. The, the man who wrote the song was a slave trader, and he became a preacher. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And then he says this, was blind, but now I see. What is he talking about? He had his physical eyesight, but he was saying that I changed. I began to have a light bulb moment. And uh, you know what he did after he got saved? He was still a slave trader. Say, so, well, it was wrong. It takes people a while sometimes to figure out different things in their life. And he gave that awful, despicable trade up and became, a, I believe, a parson or a pastor. But 
God can change lives. Verse 1. The first day of the week, that's Sunday, cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. She was coming with a bunch of women and they had a bunch of spices. They were going to anoint and show care to Jesus' body, honor him and kind of prepare his body, uh, which they couldn't have done before because of the high Sabbath that had happened a few days ago. And it's interesting. The Bible says this, that she came early. And you know, it's interesting. Some people, the way we see things, you know, one of the ways that we accomplish is like, you know, we have a lot of activity. She got there early. And you know, you hear like start early, work hard. All of these things are important. You know, they say that work is the only addiction you can, you can have where you get promoted. That's why people are like, if I work more, I get promoted. It's like a sanctioned addiction, right? So she had all this activity, but the only problem is she was looking for a body. She had seen a body get buried, but yet Jesus told them that after three days, he was going to raise it up again, that he was going to rise again. He had said, I'm not going to stay dead. And yet they heard it, but their eyes were their dominant sense. So they didn't have the eyes of faith. She was, she was coming to look for a corpse. She wasn't coming to look for a risen savior. And then when she saw the stone rolled away, she ran and said, then she runneth and cometh to Simon. So she had all this activity. And what I'm saying, saying with that sometimes is, you know, work is good to a point, right? Um, I know people that are too busy to come to church. I mean, I know people that are, I never believed it. But my wife and I invited a grandparent out. She was in her 70s. She's probably not with us anymore. And she was too busy to come to church. She had to like take her grandnephew or niece to the dentist appointment or whatever. And I was like... This lady is really saying she's too busy to come to church. So the Bible says, be still and know. You know, sometimes we just need to slow down, be still, go to church. There's a lot of times I've gone to a church, a revival, a church service, a Bible study, a conference, and had more accomplished spiritually and in my life and things where dominoes fell over that I, that I hadn't have happened with all the effort that I put forth. And it's counterintuitive, but it's the way God has it happen. So, and then she's running. So she's running in verse two. And cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, this is John, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. So she still thinks he's dead. They took the body. And she probably thought it was not grave robbers, but the people that put the body in there were two men named Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And she probably thought, Hey, they took him and put him in a better place. But I don't know where they put him. But he's still dead. You know, sometimes if we still think, have you ever gone around thinking that God's dead where you had to fix everything and you had to do everything? But there's a chorus that says, God's not dead. He's still alive. That's one of the great lessons that uh, we find out here a little bit later. And so Peter takes off towards the, the sepulcher, right? Verse 3. Peter therefore went forth. And that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together. And the other disciple, that's John, did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he stooping down and looking in, 
saw the linen clothes lying, yet he went not in. Have you ever thought about what he hesitated for? He got there first. Was it because he wasn't sure what he was going to find out? Was Jesus still going to be in there? Was Jesus going to be dead? You know what? I don't have an answer to that. But sometimes what we need to do in life is just go a little bit further. And the Bible says Simon Peter wasn't fast, but he just barreled right in there. Then cometh Simon Peter, because John, it says, stooped down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then Simon, then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin. So Jesus was wound up in grave clothes, and the napkin wasn't like a serviette napkin that we get at Starbucks. Okay, this was how they wrapped his head. That was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. So you've got the linen clothes were lying in one place because he just probably passed right out of them when he rose from the dead. And I don't know if he undid the head thing and wrapped that together and set it to the side. And then it said, then went in also that other disciple. So John finally goes in, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Now there was something different between Peter and And John, Peter got there first. He looked around, but it said something happened in John's heart. Not that he saw with his eyes, but he believed. It dawned on him that Jesus had not died and just been transported by someone else to a different grave. But he was alive, just like he said. And you know, that's the the dawning when you come to the house of God. I remember when I came to church for the first time, that it dawned on me that I was a sinner. I didn't like that dawning, but the lights came on. I'm like, whoa. I remember when we were kids, we were kind of doing things we ought not. And um, there were no parents there. And uh, we had made this plan that when the parents came in, we would... uh, I think we had the lights off or something. I was like 13 or 14. There was a bunch of kids. We were just doing whatever. And the, the parent knocked at the door, came in, and we all had the lights on. We all like, you know, like we didn't have pipes or anything, but we all just acted like we were going. <laughs> and I had a book that I, you know, grabbed and was pretending I was reading. And he looked at me kind of funny, the parent, and then he, he left. And later I realized I'd grabbed a Bible. But I was holding it upside down. (laughs) So it dawned on me that I wasn't tricking that parent, right? Reading a book upside down. But the Bible says, For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. See, the other disciples hadn't believed yet, but they didn't really figure it out. But John, it said, believed. You know, it's interesting. You can have the Bible read to you, but when you become a Christian, it becomes real to you. I mean, these things are real. And John believed, no, he rose from the dead. The rest of the disciples uh, uh, hadn't had that connection yet that Jesus really rose. And it said, then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary... Even though her eyesight, right? She was still looking with her physical eyes. She had a heart for God. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, 
She stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. Have you ever looked for something and it's not there? And you look again, still not there. That's exactly what she did, right? She's like looking in. Maybe I missed it. Maybe he's in there. Peter's been in there. John's been in there. She's looking in there again. And now that says she sees two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. So these angels just miraculously appeared. They were in there. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. Now there's a little thing. If you go back to verse 2, it says we, because she came with the other women. But the women had probably gone home, and she said, Now it's just me, I. And they probably you know, had to go feed their kids or you know, go to lunch or you know, pick the kids up from soccer or whatever. But she was still hanging around. And... It's an amazing thing. You know, sometimes if you stay a little later, you'll learn a little more. And it's sometimes if you just hang around, hang around the pastor, or you hang around, if you're learning French, you hang around the French teacher. When all the kids go home and you stay and ask another question, you'll learn more. And that's what she's, she was just going to hang out and get something extra. And then it said, and when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. So she saw him and looked right at him and didn't know it was him. And I don't know about you, but you can be blinded by grief. You can just be so overcome by something that, uh, have you ever heard of, of myopia? Myopia is being nearsighted. So you can see close up, but you can't see far away. And maybe she was so fixated on her grief that she couldn't see something that was right in front of her. I remember my daughter was little and she went and grabbed someone's leg. She's like one or two. She grabbed someone's suit, pant leg or whatever. And then thinking it was me, right? And then she looked up. It wasn't me. And she's like, blah! You know, she went off. And, but you know what? The pant leg looked right. But it wasn't, there was a, you know, there's some things that look the same and, you know, but it wasn't me. And I know that's the opposite, but, you know, we can have people that are confused with one another. The Bible says, though, Jesus saith unto her, woman, why weepest thou? The same as the angels. Whom seekest thou? She's supposing him to be the gardener, the one in charge of like the foreman. Saith unto him, sir, if thou have borne him hence. Tell me where thou hast laid him and I will take him away. Again, she still thinks Jesus is dead. And that's a great love that she has. You know, she's a woman. I don't know how big she was, okay? But she was going to carry Jesus' dead body plus the hundred pounds of ointment that they had placed around and in him or around him and around his body. She had no problem with that. She had so much love for Jesus Christ. But, you know, great love needs great light or great revelation to lead it. He was not dead. And again, she was still looking for a dead Jesus. And we're in John chapter 20 and verse 16. And then it said, Jesus saith unto her, Mary. So she had turned back around. She was probably still looking in the tomb where Jesus wasn't. I'd have a question. If there were two heavenly angels there, I'd be like, okay, something's up, right? <laughs> I've never seen an angel before. I remember my pastor said that uh, he wanted to see one and prayed to see one. I mean, a, a heavenly angel. And heavenly angels are awesome creatures, okay? They're not, some of them it says they can 
dwell among us. And the Bible says that be careful to entertain strangers because some have entertained angels unawares. They didn't even know it. But if an angel is a glorified angel, they're, they're amazing to behold. So uh, that would have been enough for me to know something was up, I think. But Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And then she turned herself because she probably now heard his, the voice clicked. Now, if my wife or daughter call me, I don't need caller ID. Another voice. And Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And the Bible said, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which means, which is to say, master. Jesus saith unto her, touch me not. He wasn't saying, don't touch me. He was saying, don't wrap yourself around like my daughter wrapped herself around this guy's leg. It wasn't my leg. She's looking for me. But don't detain me because I've got to go to my father. So it wasn't that he didn't want her to touch him physically. It wasn't like a purity thing. It was that Jesus had business to do. Jesus saith unto her, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and to your God. You know, Jesus also gives me a message and you a message. Tell them that I'm alive. And you know what? That's the same message that he gives to us to tell people, hey, God's not dead. He's still alive. And notice all the telling people about Jesus in this chapter. It gets to be, you know, instead of telling someone about some, I know it's political season, okay? And it's important. Politics are important. The Super Bowl was important on Sunday. Not so much anymore because everyone's had their little parade or maybe that's not even done yet. But politics is a big deal. But let's tell people about Jesus. I know that other stuff is so divisive, but Jesus is such a uniting force. Amen. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. I like to tell people about Jesus. Man, it is an awesome, it's an awesome trip. It's an awesome conversation. And you know what? Most people want to hear about God. If you don't approach it in, a, in like, a, a, like a Pharisee way, like you're bad, I'm good. But hey, man, you want to... And I've, I've prayed with people, and uh, they've, they've just met me. And I, I asked them, you know, have you made it to the Lord? Are you still kind of on the way? And it's just a very gentle way of saying that, you know, are, are you sure? And a lot of times people will be very open and honest with me. And uh, uh, a lot of times someone will be open to praying and asking. I, I see it, and even though there's pressure, people want to know Jesus Christ. And the same God that loves me, man, I want to tell others about his love for them too. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week. So this is Easter service, the very first one, right? Unless you count the one with Mary, but two angels like playing the drums and the piano. But no, no, this was the first Easter service. It was the evening service, not a morning service. Ha, huh, who would have known? They think, oh, it's a sunrise service. It was a sunset service. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, the sight that gives you the fear of man, right? Came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, peace be unto you. You know, when Jesus comes in, he didn't have to use the door. He when Jesus comes in, peace comes in. And what you really need is not for the economy to go down or, or a different party to be elected. That's just going to make the other half of the country mad. And uh, 
But what we really need is we need the peace of God that passes all understanding. In any political climate, in any environment, we need Jesus. And the Bible said, I like this, because 2020 vision is normal vision, right? So John 20 and 20. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. And for some reason, Jesus left the marks in his hand. I don't know why, because he could have erased them. Even in heaven, the only scars that are in heaven are in Jesus. Because the Bible said in heaven that he was as a lamb who was slain. He still has his scars. And they're there for our sake, not for his. So he showed them his hands and the scar where he was stabbed with the spear. It said, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. So 2020 vision means you see what other people see at 20 feet. I know that it's like normal people. What does that mean? Because I don't know what normal people are, right? But that's what 2020 vision is. You see what a normal person sees at 20 feet. The same as another normal person. So John 2020, that's kind of normal vision, right? You see Jesus, you're happy. I think we'll all be happy when we get to heaven and see Jesus, but that's normal. Then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you as my father hath sent me, even so send I you. Here's the same thing, the message that Jesus is sending them with. And when he had thus said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. If there's one message that the, the, that the church needs to hear, you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Why? Is that what you're, are you a Pentecostal church? No, Jesus said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. But preacher, I got it when I was saved. They were saved, but didn't have the Holy Ghost. Oh, it's separate. Otherwise, he didn't say, oh, you're good. You already believe in me. Now, yes, you get a portion or a part of uh, 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 some of the spirit, a measure of the spirit. Otherwise, you couldn't be God's child when you're saved. But it wasn't the same thing. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have said, you're missing something. You need power. And you can read the beginning of Acts and find out when that really happened. It didn't come until Jesus left. He had to go so that the Holy Ghost could arrive. This, this is basically verse 23 is about the power that you have by faith. Whosesoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosesoever sins ye retain, they are retained. That's one of the uh, powers that we have in prayer using the name of Jesus. That was just saying that basically you have authority in the name of Christ. You know what? When was the last time you used your authority in Jesus Christ? Hmm. Something to think about. A preacher, but God wouldn't hear me. God just said that we have this authority right there. He's alive. So, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So he missed Easter service. Does it say where he was? He might have been upset. He might have been sick. He might have been working a side job. He might have been fishing. We don't know where he was. He wasn't at church. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. So they're, they're saying what Jesus said. They're all excited. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger. Man, that's pretty rough, man. So if you get a, a wound uh, or something like that, like someone stabs you and someone says, hey, my friend got stabbed. Not unless I put my hand in the, the knife wound will I believe that. But that's what he said. And he was crucified. That's, that's a horrible thing to say. But I don't know. But you say things when you're trying to make a point. Have you ever said too much? 
When you're trying to make a point, you're like, ah, too much emphasis, you know, but, and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. You know what they say, seeing is believing? That's what Thomas said, seeing is believing. I'm not going to do it unless I see it. Well, the Bible says hearing is believing, and that's really the eyes of faith that God wants. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them, so he made it. Probably just because they were so excited. (laughs) Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Same message. Then saith he to Thomas, be careful when you tell Jesus you're going to do something because he remembers. (laughs) Then he saith to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. The whole purpose of Jesus. Notice how humble he is. He didn't say, I can't believe you said that, Thomas. You know how someone gets mad at you and they say, be that way. Right? That's not what Jesus said. He said, be not that way. He said, I, if I can have any way for you to believe in me, if it takes you thrusting your hand, do that. I want you to believe that I'm alive. That is why preachers lay down their lives. That is why witnesses, the word martyr is a literal Greek word that means witness. That's, that's all it means. They witness Jesus Christ. And I was reading to my wife from uh, 2 Corinthians about what a minister is and what Paul said, and it's a lot of suffering. But they did that not because anyone wants to suffer. I don't want to suffer. I want to eat grapes and be in the air conditioning, like all of us, right? But they do that to witness Jesus Christ so that people would know, so they were not faithless but believing. Be not that way. And, uh, and Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. So the message got through, right? And his eyes were opened spiritually. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Notice the blessing. Because everyone's like, well, I saw Jesus and I saw this one. Jesus said you're blessed if you don't see me, but believe anyway. There's a special blessing pronounced. I've never seen Jesus. I've never had a revelation of angels. But if you're a quote-unquote regular Christian... God has a blessing for you if you take God's word by faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that in believing, you might have life through his That's almost a salvation prayer right there. Now, what's the best sight that you could have? 2020 is normal. So 2010 would be you see what normal people see um, at 10 feet, but you see it when you're back at 20 feet, which means you've extremely good vision. I don't know if I've ever met anybody with 2010. Olympians, some of them who are archers and sharpshooters, they have 2016 vision. You're not going to find that. Well, there was a man, and just we're out of time, but there was a man who's a doctor. And uh, he said it's physically impossible to see better than about 28. So at 20 feet, 
away from something, you see what normal people see up at eight feet. Uh, you have incredibly good vision, okay? So 28 is probably the best vision possible for a human eye because of the way light works, okay? But I want to read you John chapter 20 and verse 8, okay? This is funny how it works out like this. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. He saw what? He saw nothing. He saw that Jesus wasn't there, but he believed. You know that that is the best sight that you're going to have down here, is eyes of faith that believe God no matter what circumstances, or even your eyes tell you. I want to leave with this. So one night, and I don't know if this wasn't real. This is just an illustration, okay? One night a house caught fire and a young boy was forced to flee to the roof. The father stood on the ground below with outstretched arms, calling to his son, jump, I'll catch you. And of course the young boy was frightened and, and his father knew that the boy had to jump to save his life. It was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And the, the, the father kept yelling at the son, jump, son, I'll catch you. But all the boy could see, however, was the smoke and the flames and blackness. The boy said, Daddy, I can't see you. The father replied, but I can see you. And that's all that matters. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, the greatest that you'll see is not with your physical eyes, but with the eyes of faith. And specifically, faith is a common term. It just means trust. But it's what we put our trust in. And you can trust Jesus. He will never let you down. Father, bless your word. Give us eyes of faith that you rose from the dead, just like you said, and you're the one that deals with our hearts because you're very much alive. But as you deal with our hearts that you're alive, help us to spread the word to someone else that, that Jesus, you can do a work in an impossible situation because you make the impossible possible. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. It's our